Welcome to Indie Radio Broadcast number 62. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show, which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser-known developers, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie game development, and to give you tips and tricks for your journey into games. Today, I'll be your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting live from the southern United States. And I'll be your co-host, Ian Jones, broadcasting live from the eastern coast of the United States. All right, and we have a guest today. Yes. I'm Jasper Flick. I am from the Netherlands, currently in Amsterdam, and I'm an independent software developer and Unity tutorial writer, among other things. Uh, his Twitter and website is Catlike Coding. Um, he's also got a Patreon where he supplies tutorials uh, to the public, which is phenomenal. Uh, they're all Unity. Uh, I, I think they're all Unity, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. And, uh,. Yeah, they're, they're super great, and we're going to talk about that in our interview later. So if you're listening in live, we do have an IRC channel where you can chat with uh, both us and Jasper, uh, ask questions, uh, link news articles that you found interesting in the uh, indie game scene, and uh, just have a fun time. So if you want to do that, we are on the afternet.org network, and uh, the channel is Indie Function, I-N-D-I, or wait, I-N-D-I-E Function, uh, and then... You can also get access to the IRC channel from the bottom of the radio page if you're listening to it on the Indie Function site. Um, that's always open, so ju- uh, jump on in and you can chat with us. <sighs> Anything else before we jump into the news? I, I think I got it covered. All right, so Yo-Yo Games has finally uh, decided to kill off Game Maker 8.1. I didn't even know that they were still supporting it, to be honest. But uh, on May 18th, they said, no more, we're, we're shutting this down. Which is, uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, because part of me thought that it, they had already stopped supporting it, and then the other part is like, whoa, they were supporting it until now, and now they're killing it. Um, that, that version came out in what year? <laughs> 8.1, I think, came out in either 2009 or 2010. So yeah, ages, ages ago, yeah. Um, yeah, it says in the article somewhere, uh, four million downloads, over three years since its final update. So yeah, it hasn't been updated since uh, 2012, which is probably a little while after Studio came out. Um, but Yo-Yo Games does have a sale going on right now, their spring sale. So if you want to upgrade to Studio and you still have 8.1, or you just want to get Studio. Uh, period, uh, it's 40% off right now, which is pretty substantial, because uh, how much how much even is it right now? I haven't checked in a while. Alright, it looks like it's normally $150, but it's $90 right now for the professional, which includes pretty much everything except a few of the exporters. Yeah, it doesn't have any exporters uh, besides Windows. So yeah, that's that. Over at Skira, there is a Construct 2 game jam going on right now. And the theme is Deception. So if you want to join that, uh, go over to skira.com, check out their blog, and you can go over to uh, the blog post and read up on all the information about it. There is a bunch of prizes. Um, 
Uh, first place gets an Xbox One console, which is crazy. I've never seen a console given away in a game jam. Um, they also get one Xbox One game. I'm not sure if that's any game that they want or if it's uh, from a selection. There's also a Skira piggy badge, which I'm guessing is a virtual item. Uh, Skira stickers, uh, one Construct 2 business license, and a flying monkey. What, flying monkey. What, what's a flying monkey? <laughs> Do either of you know? Nope. All right, I'm googling this. Let's find out. Um, I'm getting a lot of images of strange things. Uh, birds with, or not birds, monkeys with wings. Monkeys with bird wings. Yeah, I have no idea what a flying monkey is. So whoever wins. Send us a picture of your flying monkey. I want to see it. Uh, and then second to fifth place uh, also gets a Construct 2 business license, the PD badge, and Skira stickers. And 15 runners up get a $10 voucher for the Skira store. And one runner-up runner-up gets a plastic carrot. So even if you don't win, you get 21st place, you can still get a plastic carrot. Um, and then how to enter, you need to enter by June 26th, so you have over a month to work on this. Uh, post your game on Newgrounds and use the tags listed here, which are Construct 2 and Deception Jam. And there is some more information on the Newgrounds post, they say, so you can check that out and submit your Construct games to the Jam. Sounds pretty cool. Does, does Deception give you guys any ideas for a game? Um... It seems like a kind of hard theme. Don't be deceived, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny. All right, Ian, do you want to take the last news article? Sure. Okay, so um, our last news article is about uh, Exola, which is an SDK for Unity, uh, and Exola is basically it's like a, a payment service that's been around for a long time and is already used by a lot of uh, big players in the games industry such as Valve, Twitch, Ubisoft, and Congregate. And uh, it allows you to easily uh, create like an in-game store basically uh, across different platforms and things and now that you can easily just integrate into Unity, it's a partner on the asset store, it should make it much more simple to just create uh, in-game like payments and things, microtransactions and whatever else. Uh, if you want to do DLC through the game, you should be able to easily do all that using this now. So it looks pretty cool. Yeah, over 700 payment options from all uh-huh. over the world. That is insane. And, oh, yes. And another important thing is, if I recall correctly, it supports like localization with like various currencies and other things. So it's like, it's, it's really well done. I mean, it's not like they're just getting started with this. It's been around for a long time they've got really well done and now they're just making it easier to uh, get a hold of mm-hmm. it also sounds like it has a uh, pretty good security i mean i, oh, I would hope that it yes. would well yeah <laughs> of course <laughs> i mean valve's using it so it's got to be got to be top notch yeah the plugin uh, it's available on the asset store and i i thought i read somewhere that they might be uh, adding more stuff to unity down the line but i'm not sure if I read that correctly, or if I even read that at all. That might just be my brain wishing things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, have you heard about this, uh, Jasper? Well, I read the blog post. 
obviously. <laughs> and beyond that, I have not really paid much attention to it. Do you think you'd be using it at all? Me? No, not really. I am uh, not that interested in in-game stores as my personal development. I gotcha. All right, so for anyone listening in, uh, we have Jasper on today. Uh, Jasper Flick. And he is a Unity game dev that puts out these phenomenal tutorials on uh, Patreon. Uh, like, go go find him on Patreon. It's uh, Cat-like Coding. And you can find these tutorials. They're super awesome. Uh, and we have him on here today to talk about Unity tutorials and whatever else you want. So if you're just listening in, we do have an IRC channel. Uh, you can jump in that and ask questions. Uh, it's located at the bottom of the radio page, or if you're using an IRC client, it's on the aftonet.org network, channel Indie Function, I-N-D-I-E Function. You can jump in there, chat with us. So yeah, Jasper, how long have you been using Unity? Unity, I first encountered it in 2009, and I've been using it ever since. Wow. So that in 2009, that was before you got Unity Indie, so you basically still had to buy it at full price, otherwise you were out of luck. <laughs> uh, so your wallet was hurting for a little while? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. So, but I've been using it for quite a while, and uh, well, I liked it from the get-go. You yeah. know that David Helgeson is always uh, going on about democratizing game development, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he's right. The Unity's doing a great job in that regard. Yeah, I don't think I even heard about Unity until 2009, maybe 2012. I know I started in 2012, but wow, 2009. Like, what what version of Unity was out back then? Uh, I started working with uh, version 2. 2. <laughs> this was uh, quite a lot more primitive than what you have today. Yeah, I imagine. Just going between uh, 3, 4, and 5, there's been a thousand improvements and changes. It's completely different than when I started, and you you started a whole version before me, so. And Ian, have you had any experience with Unity yet? I can't remember if you ever tried it. I have not. I I definitely have been meaning to get around to it, because it seems like it'd be a wonderful uh, way to start making games and things if I want to do stuff with C Sharp or, I guess, JavaScript or What's the other one that they support? The languages? Do they even support Boo anymore? You know, they interrupted with five. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't really planning on using that anyways. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so no, I, I think I'm definitely going to play around with it at some point, and maybe it'll turn out to be very fun for me. But I uh, guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a lot different than uh, most game development in a traditional sense uh, with pure code, because there's so much that you can do with the visual editor and the inspector. Which, which is obviously the appeal of it. Hmm. So, uh, Jesper, what inclined you to start making tutorials for Unity? Well, I've always uh, been kind of an educator. I like helping people, and I'm pretty good at explaining stuff in a way that most people understand. Uh, so, it kind of followed naturally from that. <laughs> And, uh, well, I also like to just give stuff away for free as much as I can. So I just started putting them online. And for well, just 
about a year now I've been on Patreon. I'm pretty happy with that as well. Yeah, you. How many how many backers do you have now? Let me go check. Currently, I have eighty five patrons. Eighty five. Yeah, we. So that's a, that's an organic number. I mean, it goes up and down all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a steadily growing over the months. Yeah, Patreon's kind of like that, where people fluctuate because it is money coming out of their pocket every month. So, indeed, it is. Yeah, I I used to support um, Chevy Ray, but I had to stop because <laughs> I was a poor college student. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and I think he actually took his down. Um, he's he actually also does tutorials. Have you ever uh, seen UnityPatterns.com? Yeah, I've seen it, but I've never really looked into it in detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Between between you and uh, Unity Patterns, uh, I haven't seen too much else in uh, substantial Unity tutorial content uh, aside from the YouTube tutorials here and there. Yeah, lots of people like to do video tutorials. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. <laughs> How come? How come? Because, uh, well, if, it depends on the subject matter, but if you are going on about how to code and how to program... It involves a lot of text, a lot of typing, and a lot of scrolling. And that is just inherently a non-linear experience. So it doesn't lend itself to video very well. Hmm. That's a very interesting uh, way to look at it. I think I very much agree with that. I'm I'm a lot more partial to uh, text tutorials for programming and otherwise, just because, especially with things like code snippets or things, demonstrating how to do something, you can't just copy and paste it from a video, and you can't just easily play around with it and see how it works. It's much more simple to just see it as literal text on your screen that you can treat like any other text. So that's that's always very nice. And being able to go back if you accidentally mess something up and check over, like it's all a lot better, I think, as a text tutorial if it's well done. So, so that makes me think. Um, like, with... <sighs> Uh, as I, I do web development, so does Ian. We, uh, we work together, so um, I was kind of thinking along the lines there. What, what if there was a video service that allowed you to do something similar to that? Where... <sighs> hmm. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I'm thinking, but something along the lines of kind of having a similar system to chapters in, like, a movie, per se. So every, like... 15 or 30 seconds when a text snippet or snippet uh, shows up in the program or whatever you can hover over that spot on the video maybe and see it I don't know I think there's there's still lots of room for the innovation in how you present content to people mm-hmm. and that's innovation is really driven by whatever it is that you're trying to portray and you, you could go from it from a different direction. You could maybe augment or adjust video content to fit programming better, or you could go the other way. You could say, well, we take text tutorials and maybe add some more video media into it. Uh, you could try it from both directions and see where you end up. Mm-hmm. I think that would be very interesting. Probably also a lot better for uh, for many people trying to learn from tutorials that 
think a good combination would probably be really ideal. Um, but I mean, obviously, it'd be very difficult to do so in such a way as to create a very solid experience that doesn't just mangle the two and instead actually creates a good, like, um, what am I saying, combination of the two. So you still have the text and other things, but you can have, like, the uh, maybe they want the audio narrating over it or they just want captions or something that they can see and kind of read as they pass or things like that. And there's a lot of uh, different, I think, a different ways people learn, so you'd really want to be able to make it as customizable as possible if you wanted to uh, make it really work well for everyone. Can you yeah, I, I have some ambitions to, to try something like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of my Patreon goals. I mean, it's pretty high right now, but if I manage to reach that at some point, I'm, I'm going to try stuff like that. That would be that would be amazing. So, it's cool. <laughs> a crazy I- idea I just got was uh, a video where you can you can click inside the video and copy and paste code. <laughs> I mean, if it's not literally a video, that'd always be doable. But I'm, I don't know. It just I'm very glad that at least someone's trying to uh, figure out how to kind of do a unique thing with uh, tutorials. Ideally, <laughs> so if they can, uh, if you can figure out how to work it out so that it really can be adapted to whatever way you learn best that is like the ideal tutorial that's amazing yeah only time will tell <sighs> alright so uh, I'm looking through your tutorials right now and you started in May 2014 and the most recent one that you put out is April 2015 so what what are you putting out this month for a tutorial this one's uh, still under construction. Uh, you, you could check some screenshots if you go to my Patreon page uh, in the posts. I also put some on Twitter. You'll see uh, some kind of a default mesh surface that I'm working about around right now. So it's, it's about procedural meshes, about deforming those meshes uh, and uh, I will add a little gameplay to it as well. Gameplay? Yeah, I think uh, Geometry Wars. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So what, what gives you the ideas to create uh, these tutorials? Because all of them um, seem to stem from a, a concept, and then they, they turn into this crazy, awesome thing. So what do you do? You just take something that seems interesting and fiddle with it and create a tutorial? Or what? what's your whole thought process behind creating each yeah pretty much it kind of depends on what I want to do I mean you have you can be very fundamental very basic take a concept and and just go through it for various reasons and maybe try to put a little gameplay in there as well like I'm trying now I have done different things and I just uh, change my tune occasionally so for example I've done I've done a little series about procedural noise mm-hmm. because I thought you know it's a very useful and important topic and if you go around the internet you'll find so many questions of people asking that how does this work and so many people that get it just plain that wrong I thought oh, it's useful to you know write these things up once and for all so that people can understand it relatively simply 
Sweet. So you have uh, so you you have purely noise and noise derivatives and also simplex noise and uh, simplex noise especially is, is something that that mesmerizes and confuses a lot of people. And uh, I knew basically how it worked, but not in detail. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to figure out exactly how it works and then try to describe it in a way that is not so hard to understand. Because once you really get it, it's it's actually quite simple. Is, is that why it's called simplex noise? <laughs> no, it's called simplex noise because it's, uh, it's built around the most simple, n-dimensional polyphones that you could uh, have. So in the case of three dimensions, it's a T3 wheel. Yeah, I, I haven't checked out the tutorial mainly because I didn't really understand where I would use it. What are some of the uh, applications of simplex noise? Well, wherever you want anything random, uh, whether you use purely noise or simplex noise kind of depends on your specific needs because they, they don't look the same. Mm-hmm. Besides that, you, you have to... You have lots of people scared and being scared about simplex noise patent, but that's an entirely different issue. But you can use it for terrain generation. I mean, just think about how, how the initial world of Minecraft is being generated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's simply procedural noise at work. And you can put all kinds of animations in there. And uh, one thing I really like is to use curl noise, which is kind of like simulating random flow of fluids. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can do precise flow dynamics, and we've got lots of nice games doing exactly that. But if you just want to have the illusion of good flow, you don't need to go through the expensive simulation. You can just use curl noise. Yeah, um, Alakaloka right now is working on a really cool uh, boat game. Uh, it's called Ocean Heart. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, well, he's he's doing some stuff with water, and um, I think he's using sine waves, and he's doing some sort of chunk-based system, so it updates the, the chunk of water that you're in and the eight surrounding ones. Uh, so it's always really interesting to see how different developers will do different things. Um, and, yeah, it's... I, I, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Ian, take it away. Well, going back to the question of, you know, what's the use of it, that, that's really a, a matter of your imagination. I mean, so, so the noise tutorials are really abstract in that sense. I, mean, I have another tutorial about curves and splines. It's also very abstract. You can do lots of stuff with that. Mm-hmm. And that's a really fundamental tutorial. And some people love that, and some people don't like that. I mean, I have a series about marching squares, five tutorials in a row. You can do lots of stuff with that. People have done lots of stuff with that, and other people don't give a damn about it. I mean, but I try to mix things up a bit. My last tutorial was for the pipe, which is kind of a three-dimensional endless razor. That's really a game, a game prototype specifically. So that appeals to a very different uh, mindset. So what I'm trying to do is figure out what what appeals to to most people. And, uh, well, 
if, if it's someday I, I wake up and I find that nobody is supporting me in Patreon anymore, then I'll know that I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> but so far, it seems to be going right. Yeah, one of the topics that I've been trying to find a tutorial on recently is, uh, I believe it's called Reflections in C-sharp. It's, like, I, I kind of get the idea behind it, but I don't see how you use it. Like, I, my, our last interview, uh, Landon Podboleski, uh, he was just going on and on about, like, oh, Reflections are so great. Literally half of my code base is just Reflections and blah, 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 blah. He's just going on and on, but I haven't found anything that really explains why you would use them. Um, have, have you ever used them? Reflections? Yes, I have. You have? Yes. Mostly it was a hack to make something work. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely seems like a more of a hack thing than like what you would want to base your systems around but I hear so many game devs like oh reflections <gasps> they're so great it's just I don't get it so I feel that that's one of those topics where you kind of do need to have um, more of an example than just uh, this is how you use it yeah and definitely it's kind of programming on a meta level mm-hmm it's not about, I make this code, I make this method. It's like, okay, I have this object. What methods does it have? Which one fits my needs? And figure it out dynamically. It has its uses, but well, you have to come up with a good reason to use it because otherwise it can quickly turn into a mess. I can see that. Mm. And it's typically slow. <laughs> so that's also a reason not to use it if you don't need to. But if you have a very good use case, then, of course, you have to use the best tool for the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it just seems like it's one option that you can take, but you don't really need it. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Some people find so many uses for it, and it makes me feel dumb because I'm just staring at this like, how can I use this? <laughs> nah, you shouldn't feel dumb. There are many systems that have lots of fiddly bits, but you can get by just fine with a little subset of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, master those first, and then bother about the rest. Yeah. So, are you working on any games uh, that you're planning on releasing? No, I'm not currently working on any games. I'm actually not that, not really a game developer. All my development with Unity is mostly of a professional software application nature. The only real game thingies that I have created have been small projects and little tests and, well, tutorials, I guess. So I'm not really a game dev. I'd like to do some of that, though, but I haven't had the time yet. Yeah, it's it's very time-consuming. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, Zach Harmon, he... Made, made a little prototype in like two weeks and he's like oh I'm gonna release this at the end of the month and then eight months later he's like oh, I'm finally done <laughs> so yeah game devs just consumes all of your time well that's not only true for game devs it's true for any dev <laughs> prototype yeah. is easily done the finished project is a completely different beast so what are some of the software apps that you've developed well, not, not just what are they, but like what, what type of stuff do you work on? 
Well, I've, I've done projects for clients specifically, but that's that's basically just private work, and I'm not at liberty to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I have worked for just multimedia companies making multimedia visualizations and all that 3D stuff. It's it's really just work, not that interesting, though technically challenging. That's true. Specifically for Unity, what's out there, I've made a few plugins, which are also on the asset store. An old text tool, and I made one to create the dynamic textures. I recently created one for for shaders, which is kind of stepping out of my comfort zone because I'm mostly about programming in C sharp, but I can also do some shader development. So, where do you go to find client work? Because that's that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Is it does well, it mostly come to you, or do you go out seeking for it? But it mostly comes to me, so I'm not really a good source to say, well, this is how you do it, but you, have to, you just have to go out there and just, you know, get a portfolio and, and get yourself a loom. Stuff will stop coming your way, yeah. Once, you, once you've done a lot of stuff, and, well, at some point you simply get flooded. You could spend a lot, most of the time, just talking to people about potential work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, well, that's that's kind of a luxury that you'll get to down the road. It's basically the best thing you can do is just start creating things and start getting experience, and and start meeting people, and everything will just flow from that. Hmm. Don't don't be afraid to to talk to people. Don't be afraid to just uh, contact people. It doesn't matter if 9 out of 10 don't reply. If you get 1 out of 10 replying to you, you have a single reply. Mm-hmm. And if 1 out of those 10 leads to a contract, well, congratulations, you got a contract. And all the other failures don't matter. Mm-hmm. Because nobody's going to remember that. Yeah. They might not have ever even seen your email. <laughs> no. But it's, that's the point. I mean, you might have... Uh, you might have failed because you ended, your message ended up in the spam box. No, too bad. I mean, you don't need to agonize about that. Uh, but that's also important. If you just shoot lots of messages, then it doesn't matter if half of them vanish. But if you only shoot that, ever shoot one, yeah, you have too much riding on a single horse. So uh, when you started beginning, uh, when you started beginning, wow, that was not grammatically correct. <laughs> when, when you started... Back at the beginning. Um, beginning of what? Uh, your uh, game development slash software development uh, career. Uh, what did you use before you started using Unity? Well, <laughs> I have a bit of trouble of figuring out what exactly I should consider the beginning. Because if you go back to the beginning, then, then, then it was me 12 year, years old <laughs> fooling around with, with a dust machine. <laughs> so that's quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. But a bit serious programming, I mean, after when I, I've done lots of stuff, but the first real scripting and coding experience for me personally, besides uh, screwing up. Uh, DOS uh, systems and, and making games do uh, what I want by doing some hex editing was actually with a, a 3D uh, ray tracer called Puff Ray. 
don't think I don't I've know if you've ever heard of it. No. <laughs> now it's a ray tracer program, and uh, you have visual editors for it, but mm -hmm. in bare bones, you basically just have a script file where you just write micro code which describes a scene. So you want a sphere here, you want a sphere there, you want a cube there, you want this kind of material properties. So that doesn't really sound like program, right? Mm -hmm. But it also has a rudimentary macro language, and well, I would say you could get rather sophisticated with that. So basically, I use that to create my own object-oriented uh, programming language inside of that, which I could use to create animatronic dolls and emit inverse kinematics and everything from scratch. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and I didn't even know what object-oriented programming was at that point. But then I later, when I went to university and I went to my first programming course, which was in Java, and when the, when the teacher came up and started describing what, what object-oriented programming supposedly was, I instantly understood it because I thought, hey, that's exactly what I created myself. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that sounds so overkill. You you created your entire system inside of a program. But I, yeah, well, that was the only it. thing I knew. You know, there was no internet back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must have been an amazing learning experience, though. Uh, yeah, it was. And uh, you said that you started with Java at at your school. Uh, yeah, the university had uh, Java as its main development language uh, back then. I also did some C and C, C++ development and some other esoteric programming languages, of course. I also worked directly in assembly as well. Wow. But I don't really use that <laughs> for, for real work. What? Why not? Why not? Because, <laughs> because you don't want to do that. Yeah. Assembly... It's scary. I've I've played with it like twice, and no, not putting in the time. Sorry. Yeah, well, it's not really scary. It's extremely basic, but that's the problem. You can't really do very sophisticated things with it. Yeah, I, I it's yeah, it's intimidating because it takes so much work. To, just to do something, so. Yeah, well, I I remember for one assignment. Uh, of, of assembly programming at, at my university. There was this ELISA program, which is basically a, a fake artificial AI psychologist that you can talk to. Uh -huh. And it basically parrots whatever you're saying, turns everything into a question, and has a, has a bunch of default responses. And that was an assembly program, and the assignment was, well, here's this program, but it's broken, and you got to fix it in assembly. <laughs> so I still remember it because, because the... Back in the day, there there were there, those old-fashioned matrix printers, you know, the, those things that make those nice uh, screeching sounds when they print something out. <laughs> yeah. And rolls of paper, so you could basically keep on printing. You don't get individual pages. And I printed out the entire assembly uh, program, which was about four four-meter long roll of paper. And then I went through it by hand drawing lines, making connections, and basically figuring out the entire program. Then I took it back to university, and I typed in everything in one go, and then I compiled it, and it works. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that, I remember that because I was so happy that I got it right in one shot. Yeah. But that was basically the last time ever I used assembly. Even, even 
just coding with a language that's not assembly, like, rarely ever does long things compile in one run without a typo or anything. That's that's amazing. <laughs> well, I think I think the clue was printing it out and doing it doing it all on, on paper instead of just typing on a keyboard. That it really makes you pay attention to details. I do not recommend anyone do that though. Oh, man, just I've... use the compiler, see what the error is, and fix it. That's that's much more efficient use of time. Shoot, I was gonna print out my entire twelve thousand line program. Crushed my dreams. Ian, you still there? Yep. Alright. Being awfully quiet. Everything alright over there? I'm listening to wisdom, Brent. Listening to wisdom. I'm sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, so what show are you listening to then? <laughs> <laughs> this one, obviously. make me blush <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Jasper outside of game development and I keep saying game development even though technically you don't do game development I'm sorry it's, it's just fine. such a it's natural just fine. it's, it's fine. a program developer or something yeah. it is everybody assumes that I'm a game developer I don't know it's just it comes naturally I guess <laughs> outside of that I'm, nerdy computer stuff that games, you do or what was that, Ian? It's very useful tutorials for games, to be fair. I mean, other software as well. But... Mm-hmm. Alright, so outside of your nerdy computer stuff, what what do you do? I do other nerdy stuff, I guess. <laughs> uh, my, my main hobby is ta- tabletop role-playing games. Tabletop role-playing, okay. Yep. Which Which games? Oh, that, that varies a lot. Of course, you have the default Dungeons & Dragons games. It's always popular. You can always find people for that. Mm-hmm. But personally, I am more interested in uh, in indie role playing games. Okay. So not the mainstream role playing games. What are some uh, examples of those that you've, especially lately, maybe enjoyed? Well, my my personal favorite, even though it's already pretty old, is Dogs in the Fine Yard. Ever heard of that? I have not. I don't think so. And it's a game by Vincent Baker, and it's uh, pretty darn awesome. You are a bunch, basically a bunch of uh, of lawkeepers for your faith, which is based on the Mormon faith. And you go to towns and you fix people people's problems, <laughs> which of course has a lot to do with adultery and sex and multiple wives and. <laughs> And disinterpreting <laughs> faith and demons and everything like that. You know, oh the usual God. stuff. The usual <laughs> Of course, yeah, just the usual. <laughs> <laughs> that, that got intense fast. <laughs> yeah. You just carry the, on the, the, the best quote I have from, from sessions that I've run there is, is a game master was from one player. He's a really nice guy. They were in, in, in a group. And at some point, they were confronting two guys in the village. And they were absolutely convinced that they were the bad guys they were doing all these these weird things and, and so they were having a confrontation and it's important that doesn't mean that they're shooting and fighting because in that game just talking can, is a confrontation as well it's all fluid it's really nice and at some point he pronounced loudly almost standing up to my utter amazement 
this guy is innocent. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically his, his own judgment. Oh, that was such a nice moment. Wow. So I added, so I like these games, but I also play Dungeons and Dragons. Right now I'm playing 13th Age, a game from Pelvin Press, which is kind of kind of D and D, and with a little bit more towards the the narrative side as well. So it's kind of a hybrid, mm-hmm. trying to get the best out of both worlds. So uh, what was the log game called again? The, Sorry, what? the Mormon-based uh, lumber game? What was that called? <laughs> Dogs in the Vineyard. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Alright, looking it up. Oh, found it. On uh, TV Tropes. <laughs> Do the wicked deserve judgment? Does the sinner deserve mercy? They're in your hands. Fantastic. Yep, and I see it's by Vincent Baker, who is also responsible for the games Kill Puppies for Satan and Poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, 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 are, yeah those, those are two, two smaller games. That, <laughs> and he's done, he done some more modern stuff as well. But he's an interesting fella. It seems so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get get a couple of these games. Um, I, don't, I don't play too many uh, tabletop games, but I always see them on Kickstarter, and the innovation in the tabletop scenes, or tabletop game scene, is always really, really cool. There was a game a while back that had, I, I'm sure a bunch of games do this now, um, but there is a game that had this uh, electronic board, and you have these little guys that you can put on the board, and they keep track of all their information, and then you can put it on your tablet, uh, and there's an app there where you can make your moves, and then it also syncs up. Uh, I wish I could remember what it's called, because it was really cool. But it was just like, what? Like, whoa, that's so cool. Especially since it combines the the interactivity of, uh, of uh, software with the tabletop uh, game, which is, you know, all real world, and it Combines the two of them, yeah, so cool. Um, but I'm guessing you probably haven't heard of it. Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe multiple, multiple yeah. things over the years attempting to to marry a tabletop experience with uh, software and device augmentation, and it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm checking to see if I backed it. I did not. <laughs> No, did it make its goal? It might have. I don't know. I just, I just didn't back out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so tabletop role playing is, is something I really like to. Uh, it also colors how I approach other media, like like just, you know, computer games. So I'm always uh, always interested in, in going for unconventional things and not staying true to the mainstream. I'm interested in, you know, in, in compelling stuff and not just the same old world repeated at nauseum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly so that, why people like indie games is because 
exactly. and th- we have the ability as indies to try out new things without having to worry about the billion dollar budget going down the drain so yeah yeah I, I personally think that games should become smaller mm-hmm. shorter that, yeah they that just, will make the, the innovation go faster yeah they keep trying to do bigger and bigger things oh I think I should cut off Ian sorry but no I wasn't saying it oh <laughs> um and eventually, it's just going to fall apart. It already kind of is, especially with uh, recent games like Assassin's Creed Unity, where they're just riddled with bugs because the game is so big. Like you, you can't expect yearly releases to keep getting bigger and bigger without having an increasing amount of bugs and problems. Because the bigger the project is, the more time it needs, and more ridiculous number of like people working on it and ridiculously high budgets and things which kind of already are there so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then once it's done everybody's fired yeah yeah that's part of the thing that doesn't make it very appealing I think to people who actually realize things like that I mean if you really want to work in games then you still will but it's it's pretty awful to a lot of the people in the uh, the major industry of game development <clears throat> And for people that do want to make big games like that, there are some indie studios out there, uh, like the guys that are making No Man's Sky. Why do I not know what studio's working on that? I gotta look that up. <laughs> no Man's Sky. Hello Games. That's that's why I couldn't remember it, because they have the most simple title ever. Hello Games. Yeah, like, they're, they're working on this huge AAA-styled... A game that's just what, and then uh, Star Citizen as well. I, I'm pretty sure that's indie. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe that's one of those games that are borderline. <laughs> I, I I really don't know how how big No Man's Sky is uh, because it, that that game is all about creating a huge procedural universe using a combination of lots of different assets, but. I have no idea how how the scope of the development trajectory of that game compares to something like Assassin's Creed Unity. I expect it's actually a lot smaller. Possibly. The, I mean, there it it could be, but it also there's a lot of complex systems behind it that could make it almost more difficult. But there there isn't for all we know, uh, like a big story or uh, scripted events or a lot of those um, artificial intelligence uh, I I haven't read a single thing about any scripted storyline in there. Yeah, I think there is... I think there shouldn't be because the game is totally not about that. Mm -hmm. I think there is a goal to the game um, that everybody's working towards um... Some, yeah, it's some about getting to the, the core of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Don't know what's there, but that's kind of the idea that I uh, read. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate because, or for for certain players, because from what I understand is everybody gets their own planet, so to say. Um, everybody starts off on a different planet because there's so many um, that some players are going to be way closer to the core than others. Um, 
I read somewhere that if you left the game running and you were flying at maximum speed all the way across from one end to the other, it would take, I think it was like two years in real time. <laughs> and that's, you know, without stopping at a single planet. So that's, that's an insane amount of time. But it also makes my insides all giggly. Like, ah, that's so awesome. Because anybody that, you know, played games 30 years ago, like, this is uncomprehensible to them. In, in that yeah, it's of- technically really interesting. And what interests me most is what it's going to be like to play it, the mm-hmm. gameplay. Well, what do you expect to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it even going to stick? Like, it, it honestly kind of stresses me out. It sounds like you have to put in a lot of time and to actually get something out of it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we just have to see. It's like it's like they, they say themselves. I mean, some people are going to fly throughout galaxy, and some people are going to have their entire gameplay experience on a single planet. Mm-hmm. That sounds really appealing. Of course, the question is: Do is there enough interesting things to do, or is it all going to fall apart? Like we have this big open space, but there's nothing to do. I sincerely hope that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of it's also going to depend on player interactivity. Um, like how the players actually play will de- will influence the uh, the experience of everybody else. I mean that's true for any online game, but I think it's really crucial for this one. So yeah, No Man's Sky, everybody. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was also another uh, really interesting game a while back. It was two guys that dropped out of. EA, maybe, or maybe maybe they quit their jobs at Activision, I don't remember, but the two of them uh, were working at a super big AAA studio, maybe it was Ubisoft, I, I don't know. Um, and there was a lot, uh, right, a bunch of guys drop out of uh, AAA, want to do their own thing, become indies. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, but it was these two guys, and oh, I wish I could remember, they were working on this really cool game, and it was... The art that I had seen for it was in the mountains, like snowy mountains. See, it, it bothers me so much that that uh, we have this this giant uh, repository of information called the internet. Yet, if you if you don't know the name of something, you can't find anything. Because I I really want to know what this game is now. But anyway, we can move on to the next topic. What, what do you want to talk about, Ian? What's on your mind today? Um, not entirely sure. <laughs> I I was unaware of No Man's Sky, and now I'm, I'm intrigued. You, you seriously hadn't heard of No Man's Sky? <laughs> you didn't know about No Man's Sky I, I did not. So oh. while you guys were talking, I brought up the uh, website, and I was trying to like look through and find out about it. And it's pretty <sighs> awesome. It is a bit, no, it's, it's impressive that you didn't know about it. I mean, they kind of, they were kind of unique in that they were basically the first indie studio ever to get a main feature on E3. Yeah. Yeah, like, at, at, after E3 last year, that's all anybody would talk about. It was No Man's Sky for like a month. Blah, 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 no Man's Sky, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's really unique. They were the first to pull that off. Uh, who was it? I think it was Dan Fessler. Um, or maybe it was Chris Figueroa. 
uh, one of the two of them uh, was telling me that they went to a No Man's Sky talk a while back, and they were talking about the the system behind the procedurally generated uh, animals, and that was probably one of the coolest things I've they ever heard. They have the animal. Oh my god, that just. Well, this yeah. Is, each each uh, planet has um, its own. I mean, that, that makes sense logically, and that's really awesome. But like, this is such a large project that I'm both really hopeful that like it actually it's done really well and looks pretty cool already. Just looking at like some of the prototype stuff, but it seems like it's just there's so much to do to actually get that to be kind of like you can actually do things throughout it. Mm-hmm. Your skepticism is justified. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So uh, don't don't quote me on this. I might be getting this wrong, but from what I heard um, and remember, <laughs> uh, is that they have basically one animal template, uh, like one one four legged animal uh, template, uh, and uh, it, what they do is they're able to manipulate it, like give it longer legs and. Um, change change its length and like put different heads and necks on it, and it's able to actually manipulate all these different things while still keeping uh, the skeletal um, skeleton <laughs> inside of it and be able to walk uh, regardless of what shape it is really. And I don't even understand how that <laughs> how that works because I like I I just remember whoever was telling me about it that it was crazy they had a live demo of the animal uh, creator and they would just like hit random and it would like start morphing all their parts and it would still work exactly the same with the same base model and crazy but yeah no um one of the one of the videos I saw recently of No Man's Sky had a really cool flying animal that looked unlike anything I've ever seen before. And that's that's what I want to see from No Man's Sky. Things that don't exist and that nobody would have thought of before. And I, I think that's where the game shines for me. I think that's just kind of the, uh, the whole thing that's always been there with humans of wanting to explore and whatnot. That's, that's kind of, if you look at history promoted, not promoted, uh, it's, it's caused a lot of the, uh, the events in history of trying to explore even just our own world and realizing, oh, it's a sphere and everything, and there's just a lot going on there where it's like, that's now because we know so much about our own world, and there's still a lot more to learn, but it seems like a lot of people, including myself, are very interested now in space exploration because realizing that just our, our planet is so insignificant compared to like how large the galaxy or the universe as a whole is which is ever expanding and so it's really cool to uh kind of be able to explore something based upon that uh and sort of fulfill that desire to just explore and learn and see new things that no one's ever seen before and if this is all generated and it's it's really a thing with a bunch of people then you can keep exploring and potentially see things that no one or very few people have seen before, and that just seems really cool if it's done well. So, have you guys ever seen uh, the photo of? I think it's the no, it might be the Andromeda Galaxy, but um, it's it's a four gigabyte photo. Like it was taken with 
uh, a satellite or telescope with an insanely high resolution. It's four gigs. Um, so obviously, you guys probably haven't downloaded it. But um, no, I have not seen the full resolution. NASA provided it, obviously, um, and they they did a video, or somebody did a video rather of of it. It's like ten minutes long, and what they do is they take the image and they zoom in on like I don't know, probably probably like point two percent of the image, and the entire ten minute video is them showing all the stars in that area because this image is so huge and there is so much space out there when you when you watch the entire thing you can feel your mind getting numb with how insignificant the earth is compared to everything else like the, the people understand that the earth is just this tiny thing but when you see this video you're like whoa and this entire image is only a fraction of it and it's just your mind goes numb it's it's amazing um yep your version is pretty big um four gigabyte photo nasa universe um i'm gonna link this on the show topics for anybody that wants to check it out um i yeah it's no wonder that lots of media, films, books, and and games focus on on exploration of Uh, space, of uh, explanation of a country or or planet or whatever. Yeah, here it is. Sent you the link. Uh, I'll have to make sure that I get that into the show topics. But yeah, it's... uh, January 5th, 2015, uh, the NASA slash ESA Hubble Space Telescope released the biggest image ever taken of the Andromeda Galaxy. And this is just the Andromeda Galaxy. This is a galaxy. And then they they zoom in on the corner of this picture. Or no, not the corner. Okay, it's it's a much bigger area than I thought. But yeah, it's still just what? Um, The resulting image is 69,536 by 22,236 pixels. 1.5 billion pixels requiring 4.3 gigabytes oh, of data. Dear space. God, it's 4.3, yeah. Anyways. It must, it must have been awkward. Well, this will take a while. <laughs> NASA guys the like, estimated time remaining is just fluctuating between 37 <laughs> and 39 minutes, and I have a pretty good internet connection. Oh, Christ. I, I'm sure the guy at NASA was like, oops, accidentally pressed the capture button twice, guys, sorry. <coughs> <laughs> and then their hard drive filled up. That's so cool. Because the Andromeda Galaxy is the one closest to us from what I remember of studying space in school. That's, that's correct, right? Yeah, Milky Way is going to collide with it. Because we're the Milky Way, and then Andromeda is next to us. Why do we name our galaxy the Milky Way? Why would we name our galaxy after lactation, honestly? Of all the things. Do you want to know why? I mean, it's probably a stupid reason, so sure. Yeah, uh, there was this strip of white in the sky. 
the night, the night sky. Oh, and we couldn't have possibly come up with a better thing that's white than milk. Ugh. Well, it's better than the alternative. But yeah, so no, the they, they said that it was the the milk from the gods or something like that seeping into the into the space. gods don't need milk; they're gods. It's for us, dude. But maybe I don't know. Then why is it up there? <laughs> Because we're not worthy of it yet. I no, I'm making Ugh. I'm making that part up. Like uh, but yeah, skin. they they're basically like, hey, there's milk in the sky, and then eventually they're like, why don't we just call our galaxy the Milky Way? And someone's like, dude, that's so funny. We should do it. And then all the scientists giggled, and now they're giggling in their graves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a little dark, but all right. Yeah. It got a little dark there. <clears throat> Alright, so we're an hour in. Uh, nobody's jumping in the IRC channel today. Tier. Um, nobody did uh, on our last broadcast either with uh, Landon, which is unfortunate. Um, so if anybody is listening in, jump in the IRC. Chat with us. <laughs> um, ask Jasper any questions that you've got. <clears throat> Yeah, sometimes I'll have a good number of people listen in, but nobody jumps in the IRC, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Talk to us! But, yeah. So, Jasper, what are you planning on doing in the near future with your projects and everything? Well, for the near future... For its very near future, I'm going to release a uh, next tutorial, and I'd like to keep doing that for the foreseeable future. So that I'll do tutorial things. And I want to do some other U Unity-related stuff as well. Maybe release another plugin. Maybe do some collaboration with other people. Uh, I got a lot of things floating. I don't have a very long-term schedule all the time. Too much stuff coming up. Mm -hmm. So... That's a, that's a big thing of being an independent. I can do basically what I want. When you want. <laughs> yeah, so I can do what I want. I uh, I don't like working for a boss. Mm -mm. I don't like the long-term uh, commitments. Working as what I always call a corporate wage slave. <laughs> yeah. I guess job security isn't for me. <laughs> I like it, man. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm torn right now. Um, like, I I could go get a job somewhere, but you could. do do I want to? I I don't know. I like the ability to wake up when I want and work when I get creative spikes rather than nine to five. Well, the point about working is not really that you want to do it, but that you gotta do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's nice if you can somehow figure something out that you can. Uh, escape from that. Yeah. But make no mistakes. I mean, I spent quite a few years of my life just doing a regular nine to five job, and uh, that kind of enabled me to live the way I live right now. But I had to do basically what everybody else does until I got to that point. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who posted it, but there was a there was a blog post a while back about a guy that quit his job. Um, so he had more time to do uh, indie game development, and he actually... Uh, 
actually... What, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, he, he didn't get as much done as he had expected. Um, that is a common story. Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. Yeah, because it, it had to do something with uh, not having a routine that you're you're too free, and then you end up getting less done. And there's also the whole, like, uh, you put in too many hours and you do less productivity, but that's kind of a different story. <clears throat> so, yeah, I... I think that kind of stuff's interesting because why why does it work that way? <laughs> why are our brains hardwired that way? But that's an existential. Well, the hardwiring in our brains is, is still based on us living in caves and having to fight to stay alive every day. It does not really match 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 with the current uh, modern society. Mm-hmm. When, when are we going to fix that? <laughs> that? That was more of a joke. That wasn't well, <laughs> actual question. I'd say by building discipline. Mm-hmm. Oh well, then we're going nowhere because I don't I don't know anybody that can discipline. No, no, that was that was also a joke. Alright, so anything else you want to bring up, or else we're going to probably wrap up the show soon? Well, I was just kind of curious what kind of games you're playing lately. Oh, yeah, sure. That's always a good topic. Let me open up Steam, see what my recent games are. Um, Crypt of the Necrodancer came out last month, uh, I think almost 30 days ago now. So I've been playing a lot of that. I... Almost have beaten Zone Three. Uh, I've been I've been playing it since it was in pre-alpha. So like I've been watching this game for ages, and I'm so pumped that it's finally out. Um, but other than that, uh, I have Ali Ali Two on my PS Vita, as well as Rogue Legacy, which is getting less game time recently. And then um, I'm also doing an article on Shovel Knight, so I've been playing a lot of that as well. Uh, yeah, that's those are the games that I've been playing li- lately. How about you, Ian? Um, well, I finally got Towerfall, so I've been doing a lot of that. Uh, also, I've been playing Besiege, which is uh, an early access oh, game. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Get to. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. But mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, get to mm-hmm. create little contraptions and the catapults and vehicles and things, and then you get to uh, there's various objectives and you just go through and do so. You can uh, try to break down and say destroy eighty percent of there, so it's like a fully destructible environment and stuff like that. And it's just all very interesting as far as sort of getting some engineering in. Yeah, Florian was telling me about that. I don't remember if it was uh, during the show or after, but he he was raving about it. It's, yeah, and no, it, it, I, it I definitely, fun. it's really good, and especially uh, right now, it's literally, I think, like, seven bucks or something, I think it still is, and you, uh, oh, there are two full islands, there's like 20-something levels out right now, and they keep adding new parts that you can uh, add to your thing, because it's all very modular and customizable for each part, like, you can change the key mapping and other things to make it work exactly how you want to, so, uh, 
And you can also, I mean, it, you can't win with levels on things if you do this, but you can turn off, say, the bounding box so you can build a machine of any size and all sorts of other stuff like that, and it's just mm -hmm. really fun if you just want to mess around with it or if you actually want to do the objectives. There's a lot of uh, freedom. It's not, like, too ambitious to the point that, like, oh, it's it's going to be really buggy and all these other things, but uh, it's it's definitely still very good. I think it's, it's actually made in Unity, if I recall correctly, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I absolutely love the art style, too. Oh, yeah, that, too. And, I mean, the game itself is kind of steampunk, uh, mm -hmm. I would think, but uh, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's... They're... They're uh, kind of calm colors, and they have, like, the, the pink and the blue uh, as options, and then the explosions are super mm. bright and vibrant. Mm -hmm. Oh, and another fun thing, of course, is uh, as far as vehicles, is you can make very good, like, land vehicles, but you can also, uh, for a long time, have been able to make, well, try to make flying vehicles, and <laughs> those usually tend to go very poorly, but, I mean, they're still pretty fun to try to make. There's actually even flying levels now, so... Anyway. <laughs> flying levels, oh my goodness. Yeah. Alright, and then Jasper, what have you been playing lately? Freedom Planet. Freedom Planet. Hmm. Is it and on Steam? Yeah, I got it lately. I was interested in it. It's pretty fun. It's a, it's it's kind of a homage to Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. Ah, okay. But quite quite modernized. Though it's still low resolution graphics, uh, pixely. I think it's pretty pretty well done. Mm -hmm. I'm checking it out right now. Uh, video. Looks like it's disappointing. There's the also story. a free demo, apparently. Ooh. Yeah, let's do that. It's pretty nice. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I almost completed it. Uh, oh, yeah, I totally okay. see the Sonic here. Yeah. So, so is it... Um, I was chatting with someone recently about Sonic and how the the game like Sonic is fun and all, but there's there's this disconnect because it's everything's moving so fast and you don't really ever feel in control, even if you're really good at the game. It's still a lot of luck and just like craziness. You can never really control. How does this game feel in regards to that? Do you do you feel in control or is it still a lot of just crazy you're rolling around and well it's, it's basically it's the same idea it's kind of like a promise unfulfilled about going really fast but eh, sometimes you go fast but most of the time eh, you really don't so I just see it as, as, as a nice little platformer where sometimes you can run pretty fast but it's it's not really about Speed. I mean, yes, you can go fast, but that's not really the essence of the game. If it was about speed, it should have been a completely different design. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's. This is just this is about running and then jumping around and being cute and having <laughs> having pretty pretty nice boss battles. Yeah, the combat looks pretty interesting because you. It looks like you have two attacks: a uh, like a spin your arms attack and then a dash attack. Uh, there are actually three playable characters. Oh. They each have their own different way of playing. So you have Lilac, which is that purple dragon girl. 
Mm-hmm. She can dash and then thing around, and you have Carol, which is a green cat. She runs around, and of course she slashes. And she has a motorcycle, and then you have a, a white dog girl, which is Mila, and, and she plays radically different. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm watching the video still. This <laughs> this looks really well done. Yeah, it's really well done. It's it's a bit rough around the edges, but that has its, its charm as, as well. I, I like the voice acting, especially in this game. It's uh, sometimes it's rough, uh, but but uh, there's a lot of character in it. It's honest, so to say. I believe in the characters. Yeah, it looks like it came out on July twenty first, two thousand fourteen. So it's been out for quite a while. I don't know how it slipped under my radar. I, I might have actually gotten an email about this, but saw the name and was like, eh, whatever. Well, freedom, if, freedom. if you like like simple simple platforms with, with a touch of, of boss fighting that could get harsh, if you don't don't really understand what's going on, I recommend it. All right, yeah, I'm going to get the demo later. Looks very interesting. It's on our wish list now and seeing... Well, they, they recently actually were part of a bundle, a humble bundle. Oh, okay. Or sales, so I guess you just missed that. But uh, uh, they'll, they'll be in another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go check out what's in the humble bundle. They have the Paradox Interactive Bundle right now. Uh, War of the Roses, Kingmaker, Magicka, um, some Magicka DLC, Knights of the Pen and Paper, Victoria 2, and Magicka Wizard Wars, Paradox, Platypus robe this is one thing I, I don't <laughs> like about about humble bundle nowadays is, is that as, as they became mainstream and doing all these bundles all the time they, they are no longer multi-platform exclusively oh yeah a lot of these games are only steam a lot of the games are only steam a lot of the, these games are only windows and mm. that's just a bummer but I, I fully understand it. It's kind of a, a sacrifice they had to make. But it, it's just, it always saddens me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I used to buy every Humble Bundle, but <laughs> when they when they start a new one, right, as the old ones. Yeah, um, now it's like literally there's always yeah. multiple Humble Bundles yeah. from what I can tell going on, so... Humble yeah, the big bundle. bundle, the weekly bundles, book bundles, mobile bundles, deals, and and lots of other stores that are doing bundles as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least they still have uh, the charity things going on and a lot of other stuff there. I mean, it still helps promote these games, but at this point, it's, it's not just indies and it's not just, you know, it's not like a, it's console exclusive sometimes and other things like that, so it's definitely lost some of what it used to be and also it's kind of just so common now it just keeps happening consistently that that definitely makes it feel less special feels more like i don't know steam or something where it's just like okay Mm -hmm. it's just known for yeah you can get cheap games but yeah it also used to be uh like really exciting when a new bundle would come out like Mm -hmm. like, oh my god there's a new humble bundle and there'd be really good games in it too and like a bunch of indie games that or, like, everybody wants to play, but nobody's bought yet, because they don't have $100 to spend between all of them. 
Like, ah. Yeah, it, it's really a reason development. I mean, you go back a few years and you would not expect that. Uh, nowadays, basically, the bundles get released quicker than I play a single game. Mm-hmm. And I think a reason why Humble Bundle did that is because all the other bundles were doing it. So they they must have felt compelled to have to do it. I mean, they're still doing super well. The current bundle... Um, Still has almost three days left and has sold just under uh, 100,000 bundles. So, by no means are they doing bad, but they definitely did alienate a lot of people. That's uh, that's progress for you. (laughs) Yeah, I, I still have a bunch of games in my library that I haven't... What is it? Um, redeemed. They they added a feature a while back uh, where you can see all the keys that you haven't redeemed. How many do? Yeah, it looks like I have close to like thirty or forty. <laughs> Just because, yeah, you'll usually get a bundle and be like, oh hey, I want that game. Not get the rest. You don't need to put them on Steam. You can also just you know download the bundle bundle directly. Mm-hmm. I uh, I don't like Steam very much. Yeah, yeah. I I only use it because it's convenient. Yeah, well, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm using Macs and Steam on Macs just is horrible. Uh, yeah. It works, but uh, well, oftentimes it actually doesn't. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's serviceable enough, but it's not a pleasant experience. Just the basic user interface fails. So yeah, that's it's a bummer. I thought their website was bad. <laughs> yeah, actually, their the website, website, the website actually works. It's just on Mac. It's it's kind of like they just take their website and, and put it in window, but it, it just doesn't work. You know, I think that's basic, actually what they... Basic, basic focus doesn't work. I mean, come on. Their website isn't so bad anymore, but for a while I remember using it was a major pain. Yeah. The the website is so similar to the client that sometimes it makes me wonder if the client literally is just uh, displaying a web page. It, it is. And there's one it thing is. about Steam that I like, Ah. You were saying, Jasper, sorry? I was saying there's one thing about, about Steam that, that I do like, which is that, that queue exploration feature. Mm. It's a pretty neat idea. Mm-hmm. What, which is that? Uh, you, you, have, you can uh, look at a queue of about 12 games. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically right. randomly picks. That's, yeah, that's really cool. I forgot about that. Yeah, I it never gives me games that I'm interested in, but I'm sure if I were to interest slash not interest uh, certain games would, yeah I hope that as well but that's not really true unfortunately it would maybe that, that, that only seems to dictate what you see in the storefront page but I have uh, I have uh, been going through a lot of visual novels for example which is a genre that I'm just not really interested in uh, <laughs> I can keep saying that I'm not interested in them but I'm just getting every visual novel that gets released in my queue. 
So it's not really that smart. Yeah, all these are AAA games that I don't want. Don't want Grand Theft Auto Five, The Witcher Three. No thanks. Oh, uh, Shadowfall. Forgot about that game. <clears throat> The best feature that got added to Steam at some point is that you can filter on platform. That you can watch. And then, so you can say, I only want to see Mac games, or I only want to see Windows games, or I only want to see Linux games. And that seems to work universally throughout their entire store, which, which I really like. It would be nice if, if Humble Bundle would do that. There you go. Message them. I'm a bundle. I need to add this. Um, but you can you can filter on, on platform when you're going through the store. But it would be nice if, if you just could do that for bundles as well. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like site wide. Yeah. Feature. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. They used to have little icons next to all the games saying which platforms. Oh. It still does, but you have to hover over the, the Steam. And it says, Redeem for Windows, not available for Mac or Linux. There's only one game, it looks like, in this entire bundle that isn't Windows. Nope, two. Yeah, they, they give you a hint if, if it's not available on all platforms for Steam, then you see a little exclamation mark besides it. Oh, I hardly noticed that. Yeah, you still have to hover to see which platforms are actually in there. Mm-hmm. Typically, means it's it's Windows only, and maybe it's also for Mac, but not for Linux, of course, vice versa. All right. Well, we're just about at two or two hours. Wow. I I saw my the time, and my brain decided to register the two and twenty-five. I don't know. My brain does weird stuff. <laughs> um. We're, we're nearing an hour and a half, is what I meant to say. Uh, so uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, you can check out Jasper's stuff uh, through his Twitter, which is at catlightcoding, or uh, through his site, which is also catlightcoding.com. Uh, support him on Patreon. He, he puts out fantastic tutorials, um, Unity C-sharp tutorials, and like you, even if you don't have any money to give. Just go check them out, because they're amazing. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they're free for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're... It's just nice if you could support me as well if you have a few bucks to spare. Mm-hmm. Um, it also looks like there's links to Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and uh, Google Plus at the top of the Patreon page. So if you want to... <clears throat> You know, follow him on your favorite social network. Go for it. Uh, and yeah, I think that's about it. Any more plugs that you want to put out there, Jasper? Sorry, I, I only heard typing. Oh. <laughs> um, are there any more uh, websites or links that you want to uh, say on the show? Or did we cover them all? No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Okay. Check out my tutorials and uh, well, do whatever else you like. Sounds great. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if you want to stick around for a minute uh, after the show, that'd be fantastic. 
Alright, thank you for listening in to broadcast number 62 of Indie Radio. This broadcast is broadcasted live on 1000 mics and was recorded using Gosti. Our next show will be on June 6th, 2015, with some of the Ludum Dare 32 winners. Thank you again for listening in, and have a fantastic weekend.